When it comes to marketing your business, there's a list of elements to consider, like who are you speaking with? What are the best channels to utilize for promotion? And how frequently do you need to communicate? But if you delve deeper into your marketing strategy, you'll realize there's so much more involved, like ethics, sustainability, and inclusivity. Who will you choose to work with? Which brands match your values? Are you keeping the environment in mind when developing direct mail campaigns or packaging your items? And does your promotional messaging include your whole audience? Or are you isolating some via a poor choice of words? In today's episode, I'm chatting with Lara Crystal from Matchstick Marketing about these aspects and more. I love this interview, which became a beautiful blend of Lara's marketing tips and her personal mental health journey. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the Marketing and Me podcast. If you're eager to grow your health and wellness business via effective marketing methods while maintaining your own health and wellness, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Leanne Shelton, a health and wellness copywriter and content marketing trainer who's here to help perfect your message, then find the right channels to send it out into the scary online world with the ultimate goal of making it heard and seen by your ideal client. So feel free to book in a free 15-minute chat with me after listening to today's episode. The details are in the show notes. And today I'm joined by my guest, Lara Crystal. Welcome, Lara. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, Now, Lara and I go way back uh, to our uh, sales days at at True Local, (laughs) which was my my first job out of uni. I don't know if it was the same for yourself, um, but yeah, I learned a lot back then. I I didn't want to be in sales. I remember thinking about that. Oh, no, I meant to be like a journalist or something. This is not what I meant to do. But in retrospect, and I think I've said this in other episodes, the sales experience I got and it being an online business directory and now working with all types of different businesses, it basically set me up for where I am today. And it's really helped my copywriting and it's just um, been just great having that sales experience to bring forward with when working with my customers. Um, How about you, Lara, before I go into your bio, how has your experiences with True Local made an impact on where you are today? 100% agree. I think um, you can always tell a marketer who has a background in sales versus those who don't. Obviously, it's a very close unit working um, business function, sales and marketing. So if you don't really understand what the sales team goes through, having not done it before, I personally feel like it, 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 it's more challenging um, to try and craft, you know, the right messaging and campaigns and and giving the salespeople what they need. Um, I have worked in sales roles before where I can tell the marketer hasn't got a clue of what, you know, I do, which is frustrating. But having done it, yeah, I mean, yeah, 100% agree that it really kind of set me up. Um, but I had a similar feeling to you that oh, this is not my forever. Um, I actually did do sales for a bit longer than that, though. Um it was a good starting point, but was never always. I don't think, you know, no one wakes up as a five-year-old and it's like, I really want to be a salesperson. Like, I really don't think that that exists. 
Uh, and, you know, maybe there's a few, but most of us kind of fall into it. But if you do it young, it I think it definitely sets some good foundation and building blocks for uh, not just your career, but personality and, and kind of how you character build because you have to deal with rejection. Yes, and especially when you're doing cold calls, which thankfully uh, I only did, I think, um, 10 months worth of cold calls and I moved to account management, which I loved a lot more. Yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, look, before that role, because it was telesales, which is such a hard job, yeah. uh, you know, I did have a bit of a fear of the phone and now I can pick up the phone and talk to anyone. So I did build my confidence in that. And there's been times when I've, you know, seen copywriting call-outs, for example, in Facebook groups, and or on job boards and I've picked up the phone and called and taking that step has made such a difference I put me ahead against those who just sent an email yeah. uh for a bit rapport building and everything like that um and yeah and look my sales experience also helped me like there's been jobs with uh oh can you put together a cold call sales script and I've been like okay well, you need to be quantifying the call. Please ask them, do you have a few minutes to spare? Please don't just read a script. Yeah, 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 100%, 100%. I think once you have spent, you know, a week of just no, 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 particularly cold calling telesales where people are like, why are you calling? How would you get my number? You know, you deal with that as well. It is just the ultimate soul-destroying, crushing thing, but it builds you, you know. That, that honestly, that I, I, I'm the same now. I can just, I feel like I can call whoever, talk about anything, um, because the worst is going to happen is you say no, and I learned that that's fine. <laughs> yep, no is okay. I mean, sometimes, yeah, no can be just one step closer to yes, but not always. <laughs> oh, you're, bringing back, you're bringing it all back I know, like it yesterday. I know, that's popped into my head. Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay, I, will, I, will just, I will just say this. Uh, my partner um, works in healthcare and she has recently been redeployed. Um, she's a dietitian, so she's not on the front line, but she's been redeployed to uh, basically give COVID vaccinations um, because the healthcare system is in crisis in Sydney, right? And she came home yesterday and I was like, how did it go? And she's like, oh, you know, good, but had to do a lot of role plays. And hands down, that is the worst thing about a sales job the constant role play scenarios that you do with your boss and your team I was like oh my god no like I don't know what it is about those role plays but I can't deal um and we just had a good cack about it because she was like yeah I had to pretend put a fake needle on a fake dummy and then talk to it like how are you and I was like they're the worst <laughs> yeah oh my gosh it's, and often it, you, the nerves you get before doing it because you like everyone's watching you as well yeah. um, whereas just on the phone everyone else on the phone they're not paying attention to your conversation and what yeah. happens um unless you, you know the odd time you had your you know manager next to you um yeah, watching you. yeah. um but yes all right so let's read out your bio um so obviously we've established you've got the sales experience but Lara's also worked in marketing and events for more than 15 years across markets within the UK APAC EU North American and Southeast Asian regions. She has worked with both big and small brands and in industries spanning music, disability, e-commerce, hospitality, sport, tech, and more. So then back in early 2019, uh, Lara founded Matchstick Marketing, an independent agency dedicated to assisting small brands through digital marketing and live event solutions. Then in mid-2020, Lara wrote and published Make Your Shit Look Good, 
a marketing book designed specifically for creative small brands. In a relatable and engaging format, Make Your Shit Look Good helps brands navigate marketing best practice post-2020. Uh, Lara is dedicated to shifting the way the marketing industry operates, focusing on driving brand ethics and environmental sustainability. And she lives and works on the Gadigal land. And uh, by the way, on that note with the Gadigal land, I love that's all over your website too. Um, it's not just something she brings up in a speech, which a lot of people do, you know, um, welcome to the country. Um, it's, yeah, and that's brought a space to the topic we are today. It's all about ethical, sustainable, and inclusive marketing. Um, so just find that it sounds very interesting to me. So I do want to delve into that and, and cover what that is. But first of all, do you want to share a little bit more? We've already covered a little bit of your business journey, but a little more deep dive at what brought you to establishing Matchstick Marketing. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, yeah, I started in sales. It certainly wasn't <laughs> anything I wanted to continue. I then kind of found myself falling into the event space um, as a salesperson. And I was like, this is cool. This allows me to be a little bit more creative um, rather than, you know, I guess the extent of trying to move away from the the phone sales script. Um, you know, that's as about as creative as it got. So I really enjoyed events and just the learnings that I had from that. The first company that I went into doing sales and events was a company um, that was based in the UK, but just started out in Sydney. And they were in the space of essentially research, but it was all focused on internal comps. So I was like, oh, what's change management and crisis comms and, you know, all, all of the things that I never knew existed. Um, and there was a slight external element with PR media, but it kind of got me into this space of, um, I guess, writing and communicating, particularly to internal stakeholders. And I found that right quite interesting. Um, it was a very small team. And from that, I just naturally kind of assisted with the marketing person quite a bit. And I was like, this is cool. I like this. Uh, it just allowed me to, as I said, have more of a creative outlet. I liked that it was still, um, you're still talking with customers and going on a journey and, and having that relationship, but you're able to, you know, creatively come up with concepts and designs and, you know, things like that. So that was kind of how it all started. I did that for many years. Um, <laughs> I was lucky to work in Hong Kong and live there for a while. Coming back to Sydney, I, I worked for a few other businesses. And then I just got to a point uh, by the end of like 2018 where I was like, I just can't keep doing this uh, for someone else. Um, and I think I was just overworked and underpaid and all the things that kind of make people snap a bit <laughs> and I was like oh, I'll do this on my own and, and see how I go and yeah you know here we are two and a half years later through a global pandemic um, still somehow surviving it um, and um, yeah I don't I don't know how I'll feel you know if I ever go back into the workforce having having left um but the the real drive behind that was I guess taking more ownership of the people that I wanted to work with the brands I wanted to represent and that does definitely fall in line with you know morals and ethics and just kind of where I want to 
see my name um, affiliated with people and, you know, working for someone else. Granted, you know, there are some companies that you can choose and that falls in line with. Uh, The place that I was at, though, prior to this, we worked with so many different um, industries and events and people that it was just hard for me to pinpoint and um, kind of hone in on that. And I think that was a big catalyst as to why I was like, you know, I want to do this on my own. Um, I want to kind of control that. And, you know, to this day, I, I still do. I, I don't work with just anyone for the money, um, which is hard when you're, <laughs> you know, doing, doing your thing. Um, but, yeah, it just doesn't sit well with me. So that was kind of like the big drive for it. And, um, yeah, that's what I enjoy most about it. Yeah, and it makes sense because it's just like how I niche in the health and wellness industry because I, I resonate more. I, I just when I'm running for yeah tradies or something, I just can't put my heart and soul into it the same way as I would for yeah. a yoga teacher. You know, <laughs> um, so I wanted to yeah, I'm really fascinated by this idea of the ethical, sustainable, and inclusive marketing. Uh, could you please break down what each of those elements mean when it comes to marketing? I mean, you've said a little bit about where you feel aligned with which clients you choose. Is that all it is? Is it a bit more? Uh, yeah, please share. Yeah, I think with ethics, it's more than just, you know, telling the truth and what is perceived as good versus bad. Um, I think ethics from a brand perspective needs to come from within the person. And, you know, granted the, those challenges having, you know, a company called Nike, <laughs> uh, who has many employees and many stakeholders and uh, many people involved, versus someone who's, you know, a sole trader. But in saying that, the brand can still really take a look inward and align its values and it, its morals and where it wants to position itself in market and how it wants to do business. So from an ethics perspective, I think it's really important for brands to, as I said, internalize that and and come from within and really establish why they do what they do, um, how they want to position themselves, the choices that they make in terms of where they source their labor or their products, you know, um, it's really looking at every little element of the business, not just the marketing, um, to really establish that position and and that stance is where they feel. From a marketing perspective with ethics, it's looking at things like um, not selling your marketing book on Amazon because I don't think Jeff Bezos needs any more of my money. Um, You know, and that was just a decision that I made. I, I, with the book, I was like, it just doesn't sit well with me. Um, I never have and never will buy anything from Amazon. Um, and, and that's fine. I don't judge others that do, but you know, that that's my brand. That's where I kind of draw the line with things from a sustainability perspective. Again, I think it's looking at, um, ways where we can, make choices as a brand. Um, again, looking at, you know, the products and services and, and, and how they are produced and, and where they're sold and that kind of thing, but also looking at what further impact that has from an environmental perspective, from a social perspective. Um, then the, you know, inclusion side of things, I think personally kind of falls into a little bit of the accessibility as well. And, you know, how inclusive is the language that we use? Is it accessible? Um, 
looking at the fonts, the style and the size and the colour scheme of your website, is that easy for people with vision impairment? Instead of saying, hey, guys, on every email that you send, um, firstly, it should be personalised, but secondly, uh, it's not inclusive because I'm not a guy and, you know, women are already marginalised, so let's stop that. Um, you know, thing, things like that, I think it's just they seem really small but they're not hard when you just pause and really take a look at those things. And those small minor changes actually make a big difference and, and make a big deal for, for people. And um, yeah, I, I think there's plenty of brands that are doing that and going, you know, the right way. Um, there's still plenty that kind of need to maybe look at that stuff. But um, yeah, I, I, I personally try to take as much as I can from, um, marginalized groups or what's just happening in the world and stop for a second and go why is that Kmart book 10 cents something's not adding up you know anyway so it, it yeah I think it comes from within and um, yeah for me it's just really important for my brand yeah, I love all that and so much I could yeah save all those elements. Um, I just want to touch on a couple of things. Uh, like one with like sustainability, I think, look, something like flyers and getting, you know, 200 flyers printed off for letterbox drops and things. Uh, well, one, look, yes, definitely not sustainable in terms of all the trees you have to kill for that. But, you know, people aren't probably going to read it anyway. Like it's really like a spray and pray approach that's not going to do the environment or your business you know, any justice. So um, I 100% agree with that. If you are sending out boxes of sample packs and things, make sure it is recyclable. Don't put heaps of packaging stuff in there. Um, yeah, avoid the plastics, all that kind of stuff. Um, won't go down the whole plastic bags or supermarkets <laughs> argument, but, you know, and then bring out little mini miniature things in plastic not long after that. Anyway. Very no, 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 <laughs> sure. funny you say that. Um, I will blur out um, this this uh, word but I'm sure you can imagine what it it, it says um, and um, <laughs> this was a tote bag um, that someone made when Coles initially said we're not doing you know green bags and someone was like all right well I'll um, make this Coles looking one that is a bit angsty towards that and I was like I'll buy that so for anyone on the audio, this is a podcast. It has moles instead of coals. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and I take I love you know, everyone's He's like, oh my god, that's the best bag. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. Um, and I want to talk about the um, inclusive marketing thing. So, uh, like yourself, I've worked in the disability sector, and so yeah. one of the very first lessons I learned when because I was doing communications was using the right empowering language. Like, um, don't ever say suffering with. I just recently got working with a client where yeah talking about a form of um a disability and it's like sufferers with like no 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 please take the sufferer out it's living with yeah. you know this kind of thing uh, and also you know uh, speak to the consumer don't speak to the carer or assume that they're not going to acknowledge what you're putting out there for them yeah. uh, that kind of stuff yeah 100% 100% i work in disability um occasionally i do um yeah some social community work and I'm actually working with a client now on a big disability um, event. And, yeah, it, it. I still stop myself. I literally put up a Facebook post for them today and I had to stop myself and be like, 
that isn't actually, and it's not even a common phrase. I think I said something, you know, that maybe had standing in it, like outstanding. And maybe I'm thinking too deeply, but I was like, that's actually not, I can choose a better word. You know, like when people casually just say, oh, let's go for a walk. It's like, well, that actually doesn't apply to someone in a wheelchair. And let's, you know, change how we slightly, let's go for a stroll or let's go outside, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, I mean, obviously if you're in the industry, you'd you'd probably be used to it, but just be mindful of, yeah, just how your message could be perceived by, yeah, minority groups and everything like that. So just be mindful. Let's, you know, don't be freaked out. Just reflect and even, you know, put through another lens, ask someone, a couple of people to read it. Yeah. Yeah. My biggest advice to people, and this is what I did when I was writing the book, because there's, you know, that's the undertone throughout the whole book you know it's it's teaching people um you know how to market their small business but it also does it from a lens or perspective of trying to do it in a in a good way and I had to do a lot of research on that and my my biggest advice to anyone who's unsure of you know where to start to to think about inclusive language or making you know their Mm -hmm. marketing materials whether it's online or offline more accessible it is really kind of easy to Google search a few, um, whether they're government or not-for-profit. There's plenty of um, councils and organisations, community groups who are run by people within those communities who will give you all that advice. There's, there, there are so many pieces of research and information online, um, making sure, though, they are coming from a good, credible source and not a Facebook post from your auntie, you know, Karen, for a better choice of words, but um, finding that from a credible source and, yeah, and um, implementing basically the things that they say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I want to go into your book, so let's, let's talk about that now. So what was the inspiration behind Make Your Shit Look Good? Oh, no, it's not a square word. I still feel naughty saying shit. Um, <laughs> well, I boxed it out on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't it either. <laughs> I had an episode, um, yeah, uh, last year that was, how you know, how I actually get shit done, and I said it once in the episode. I've said it probably more in this episode than I did in that one. Uh, but, yeah, anyway, what was your inspiration behind the book? And, yeah, tell us a bit more about what it's about. Absolutely. The inspiration uh, isn't as maybe cool or enlightening as as one would think. Uh, To be completely honest with you, it stemmed from the lockdowns last year and the hit of the pandemic. Like most businesses, particularly for me, I work with a lot of people in the events space. So March 13 last year, all my clients were in panic mode, you know, shut it down, claw back what you can from deposits and cancel contracts and let's let's stop this. So I essentially lost all my work um, and I was like, well, okay, what do I possibly do with my time? And I started doing free consultations to other small businesses um, as a way of keeping myself busy, feeling like I was giving back in some way and trying to help out other people who just normally can't afford to pay a freelancer or, um, you know, an agency, right? So I started doing those consultations and I was getting heaps of inquiries about it and we were just doing Zoom and chats and it was a really nice mental health check-in even for me and having like a sense of community to be like we're all like actually feeling the same and we're all a bit scared and we don't know what to do. So from those 
a friend of mine was like, oh, are you taking kind of any notes on like what people's pain points are? I was like, oh, not really, but I guess maybe I should see if there's a bit of a theme. From that information, I was like, maybe I put together like a, a small little booklet or something. You know, here, here's a bit of a basics of where to go and what to do if you have, you know, low budget or to no budget to market your brand. Most of my inquiries came from creative type businesses. And I think that's just part and parcel of my network. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, why don't I put this thing together? And then that's something I could hand out, you know, over email once I finished the meeting. So it's really funny, actually, I uh, reached out to a printer in Marrickville, which is near um, my place in Sydney. And I was like, what, what's like a quote for like a 30 page book? Long story, you know, fast forward a year, and I've done a 230 page book. But uh, yeah, so quote blew out quite a bit. But that was the initial premise of it. And it just, the more I researched to try and put all this content together, it actually just took on a life of itself and it was just growing and growing and growing. And, you know, it, 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 yeah, 230 odd pages, 30 contributors um, and almost, you know, a couple of actual mental breakdowns and definitely aged 10 years later, we have a book. And the interesting thing was, I never knew that I had ADHD and I'm very open to talk about that because it's quite commonly uh, misdiagnosed or undiagnosed um, in women who who usually find a diagnosis um, quite late in life in their 30s, even 40s. And I um, got that diagnosis about halfway through um, the process of writing the book which was life-changing to then see how I could actually cope and function on medication after the fact. And I think that now looking back is probably also a reason why the book came to what it was because at the time I didn't realise that I was unable to sit still. So, you know, I wrote a book, which I never envisioned doing because I didn't even read books growing up because I can't focus on that. So the irony, my friends are like, you're doing what? And I was like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm writing a book and it is what it is and I'm rolling with it. And um, yeah, I think I think it had a big part as to how it actually came to life because um, it is quite a big, thick thing to do in a short period of of time um but yeah that was kind of how it it, yeah just just came in it just it just took a life of its own and um then I just printed a bunch and sold books and I was like right well that took a weird 2020 turn didn't it Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> anyone really expect what we're going to be right? doing right now? Everyone was like chilling out in their pajamas, being like lockdown live. And he's this highly strong at the time, undiagnosed ADHD person who's like, I can't sit still. And like doing, you know, 15 hour days of research and writing this book. Um, so, yeah, I'm enjoying the like chilled kind of vibes of this lockdown because I did not do that last year. <laughs> how did just on a tangent here, how did you find out or what was the the signals for you to go check find out if you had ADHD? Was it just like you just like always on edge, a bit of anxiety type thing or what made you look into it? Oh, yeah, always had uh, anxiety. was diagnosed with that many, many, many years ago. Um, and then when lockdown hit, 
most of my friends, I'm a musician as well. Most of my friends um, are the same. So, you know, we all lost our work. I know a lot of people did, but as that industry, that entertainment industry, everyone did. So I found for the first month or two, I was just on that house party app, which really peaked and went <laughs> like talk about one, yeah, talk about one hit wonder that went. Oh, my I, parents have tried to use it still a year later. I'm like, no, just nah, same, messenger same. or Zoom, please don't. <laughs> a friend, a friend actually messaged me a week or so ago. Was like, hey, what was that app that everyone was using last year? Should we do that? I was like, I'm not reinstalling that. No way. Thanks very much. Um, but I found myself having all these like house party chats and um, drinking, you know, because that was our way of socializing, catching up with a friend. Instead of going to the pub, we were like having a, you know, a drink. And then it was like, okay, well, this is cute, but it's a Tuesday night and I've had like six beers and it's midnight. And why, why are we doing this? And then I was like, well, the only way I can really stop that, I guess, is to stop drinking because it's probably just been a bit silly at this point. So I stopped drinking and I've always been a drinker, like definitely not an alcoholic, but I would probably say a dependence in some capacity, yeah, which is very common for people with ADHD um, because it's the only thing that calms you down, which this is all new and learning for me, yeah. So I stopped drinking and then I was like, oh, I'm really anxious. I've never known this before. I've never noticed this because I would go to the pub and I'd drink or I'd go to dinner and have one or two, settle them, you know, like you don't realise that you're doing that. So going sober, I was like, wow, I'm anxious. And um, I went to a psychologist who was like, let's do an ADHD test on you. And they said, if you get over 70, you probably have it. And I got 100 out of 100. So, you know, (laughs) hey, that test. um, And, yeah, that was October last year. It was like two days before my 33rd birthday. Um, Got the diagnosis. Uh, I'm sober still. I don't ever think I want to drink again because um, I'm enjoying having, like, the medication I need to be able to focus and control emotions and all these things that you don't even understand of ADHD. Um, And... Yeah, it was just this huge, big, bizarre surprise where the funny thing, though, was as soon as someone said it out loud, I was like, oh, this makes sense. And then I called my family and my parents were like, oh, this makes sense. Yeah, you didn't really focus much in school and you probably, yeah, you were a bit of a wild child, you know, and I was like, thanks for like helping me earlier with this. My girlfriend and I had a proper cry laugh for like 45 minutes because she was like, this makes sense. Like, yes, you do have ADHD. And, uh, okay. yeah, so that was kind of the journey. Um, yeah, because I know so, I know a couple of people as well in their like 30s found out they had it. So I was just intrigued. So if anyone's listening and, you know, any of this sounds like familiar, then, yeah. you know, go for the test and then you could, yeah, quit the alcohol and, and get your anxiety levels and everything else yeah back on track um yeah highly recommend particularly for for um cis um women um and I just say that because it is is very 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 common to um diagnose young boys who then just have medication at a young age and then they grow up without ADHD whereas for women yeah it's usually masked with like um talkative or like perfectionism or um you know 
overworking and what about shiny object syndrome because that's me so I'm starting <laughs> to wonder <laughs> I'm always people say you do so much I'm like yeah I like to be busy so crap maybe I've got it anyway um so uh we'll come back to the topic but I think that was really um really good insightful to obviously to see um yeah hear your story and I think so many listeners could probably relate to that or if you know someone it sounds familiar then you can obviously chat with them about that um, so bring back to the topic, yes. Yeah, so with like the ethical, sustainable inclusivity marketing, how can you actually use that? Like, I guess you probably pull this from your book, but how can you incorporate that in your marketing campaigns? And do you have any examples of how you can do that? Yeah, um, we probably touched on a little bit with the inclusivity. Um, it is definitely, you know, two-prong approach of what, messaging what copy what language are you using um does it exclude um people does it particularly you know minority groups you want to talk about the lgbtqi uh, community we you know um indigenous australians um th- you know we touched on this before you know a- an acknowledgement of country um is a really simple thing to do um before a webinar or something right if you're running an online event that kind of thing so looking at the messaging and the language and making sure that we're not excluding other people and then from i guess the design element it is you know again what what language is being used there but also what kind of representation if we're using photos of people are we just going to use cisgendered white men no, not cool. Like, it doesn't fly anymore. Like, it doesn't, you know, working on this uh, disability event, it, imagine if I just had able-bodied people in all of the content. That doesn't, that doesn't represent these people. It doesn't make them feel like they are um, part of a community. It, it's quite isolating. And, yeah, I think that's a, a, a good place to start from an inclusivity perspective, um, looking at what you're putting out. Uh, from a sustainability perspective, um, when it comes to, to marketing and how we can actually action those things, probably ties into a little bit of, of ethics. Um, but again, it's, you know, wanting to just pause for a second and go, okay, like, how are we distributing this? Who are we working with? Who are we partnering with? Um, I know some people that refuse to run campaigns on on Facebook because it's Zuckerberg. And it's like, you know what? I totally kind of get that. Like, I get it. Like, that's my stance with Bezos. Like, I get it. You know, it's hard because <laughs> they're a huge, big business that we want to run things on. But, um, you know, I think just kind of taking a step back, having a look at like the end goal, how you want to execute your campaigns and fitting in kind of morals and ethics and um, partnering with the right people to align with where your brand sits from a, you know, ethical perspective. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks so much. It's been really great. Uh, So we've obviously been talking about marketing and one of my new questions I ask my guests now is what's the best marketing method for your business? Great question. Um, Mine is LinkedIn. (laughs) Just networking, staying, like it's it's hard it's a hard pill to swallow when it is essentially word of mouth and that kind of networking but it because we you know as marketers we're always trying to run ads and 
um, come up with new campaign ideas and like let's do things on TikTok and it's all kind of brand awareness type focused um, in, in some capacity. But, you know, reality is word of mouth and networking and connections. I mean, you and I have known each other for 12 years from a job that we both hated when we were young <laughs> and here we are now. Like, you know, it's staying connected with people and personally I, that's where a lot of my business comes from, um, ex-clients, ex-colleagues, um, you know. So I try to be on LinkedIn and keep things up to date and check genuinely checking in on people as well. Not like this kind of tick box, you know, like a comment, whatever. It's like, I'm genuinely trying to engage with people. And then from that things just kind of happen. Yeah. Awesome. Also love it. And how do you take care of your health and wellness? I hot tip. Um, I said this to uh, a client that I'm working with the other day. I had a meeting with them at like 9am on a Monday. And they're like, you seem pretty good, happy. What's going on? I was like, I just had a therapy session and I cannot recommend it. Um, I'm a huge, big advocate for mental health. As I said, I'm an open book with, you know, my ADHD diagnosis, my sobriety. um, And I think it's healthy and normal to talk about those things. And my huge, big advice, if you can, you know, afford it and you have, um, you know, able to access um, a psychologist first thing Monday morning 8am session lock it in it is oh, just crying that, like you know some like some sessions you you don't you, you have nothing to talk about and it's just nice to just talk to someone to be honest and then sometimes you just have a big cry and then you just start your work for the day and that would be like my biggest I surprisingly new thing that I accidentally stumbled upon is a first thing Monday morning psychology session. Lock it in. That is so good. And you know what? Like the last couple of days, I mean, kind of hit the miss in the morning. First thing, the eyes open going, oh, crap. And then there's all these feelings of dread come in. And then you're like, uh, so I felt like that again yesterday. I'm like, no, kind of, yeah, using the therapist thing with myself going, no, you can do this. You have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> Be my own, yeah, self, yeah, self talk, self, self help talk. Um, yeah, I can imagine that'd be really um, a great start to the week. Just get you in the right headset, uh, yeah. space, yeah, and yeah. and water, water. I cannot recommend um, water. Yes, for anyone, enough. Yeah, drink it, <laughs> drink it people. But, you know, yeah, within reason, but um, yeah. staying hydrated gives you clarity, makes you feel better, you sleep better, all that. Fantastic. And then how can people connect with you? Yeah, I am on LinkedIn as Lara Crystal or Matchstick Marketing. I'm on Facebook for both. I'm on Instagram for both. I don't tweet. I kind of missed that um, little era of social media. (laughs) And then I tried to do it and I was like, oh, no. Um, But, yeah, so through Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, my email, lara at matchstick.net.au, my website, um, I I spread my wings far. <laughs> and can people buy your book from your website? I do have the PDF version. Um, this is actually timed incredibly well because I did do a secret little sneaky, this is hot off the press, um, small little run of these because um, they did weirdly sell out quite quick and that was quite humbling and very nice um, to experience last year. 
No, that was this year. That was this year. Yep, they they went out this year. Um, but yes, I have a smaller run, so they'll go up on my website over the next week or so. Oh, fantastic. So get your hands on that if you can very quickly before they get sold out again. Uh, thank you so much, Lara. It's been a really insightful chat. And thank you, of course, yeah, for sharing your personal story as well. I love how we can blend both elements of, of business and wellness. That's what this podcast is all about. Yep. So thank you. It's been really great. Thanks very much for having me. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. You can find show notes for the episode at marketingandme.com.au. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and leave me a rating review via iTunes and grab a screenshot of this episode and share it across your socials. If you're interested in connecting with me, feel free to reach out via LinkedIn. Just search for Leanne Shelton and let me know you're a fan of the show. And you can also find me on Instagram under Leanne Shelton 247. It's my birthday, 24th of July. Uh, so, or you can, of course, book in a free 15-minute chat because I'd absolutely love to chat about how I can help you grow a thriving health and wellness business. Until next time, I wish you good health and good wealth.